St. John Bosco's mysterious vine dream was a message sent from God which revealed the state of his oratory boy's souls. We'll hear his heavenly guide explain how they could overcome their vices in this episode of The Miracles and Prophecies of St. John Bosco, a project of America Needs Fatima. I'm your host, Matthew Miller. Strangely enough, the shoots from this vine did not grow upward, but stretched parallel to the ground like an immense arbor with no visible support. Its leaves were green, and its long shoots were surprisingly healthy and strong. Handsome clusters of grapes soon came forth, grew, and took on their typical purple color. I kept watching with my eyes wide open, without batting an eyelid, when all of a sudden, all the grapes fell to the ground and became as many bright-eyed and cheerful youngsters. In a moment, the whole courtyard of the oratory was filled with them, and they were jumping, playing, shouting, and running under that singular arbor so that it was a great pleasure to see them. Here were all the young people who were, and ever will be in the oratory and other colleges, because I didn't know very many of them. As you know, some unidentified guide always appears in my dreams. He showed up at my side and stood watching the boys with me, but a mysterious veil suddenly spread before us and concealed that playful spectacle. That long veil, no higher than the vine, seemed to be hanging from the shoots of the vine throughout its length and descended to the ground like a stage curtain. One could see nothing but the upper part of the vine, which looked like a vast carpet of vegetables. Meanwhile, all the boys' cheerfulness had suddenly turned into a sad silence. Look, the guide told me, pointing to the vine. I got closer and saw that the lovely grape-laden vine had nothing but leaves bearing this inscription, Nihil invenit in Ea. He found nothing on it. Wondering what that meant, I asked my guide, who are you, and what's the meaning of this vine? He parted the curtain, and I only saw a portion of the great many boys I had seen before. Most were unknown to me. These boys, he added, have had many opportunities to do good, but do not aim at pleasing the Lord. They pretend to be doing good to keep their prestige, and carefully obey house rules to avoid reprimands or lose the esteem of superiors. They show deference to the latter, but draw no fruit from their teachings, exhortations, or efforts. Their ideal is to obtain an honorable and lucrative position in the world. They don't care to study their vocation. They reject the Lord's invitation if He calls, and simulate their intentions, fearing some drawback. In short, they do things by force and with no profit for eternity." So my strange guide said, Oh, how sorry I was to see in that number even some whom I thought were very good, kind, and sincere. My friend continued, The evil is not all here. He dropped the curtain and pointed to the upper part of the arbor. Now look again, he said. I was happy to see among the leaves grape clusters that seemed very tasty, but as I got closer, I noticed the grapes were rotten, moldy, wormy, 
pecked or shriveled. I realized nothing good could be had from those grapes whose stench fouled the air. The stranger again lifted the curtain, saying, Look. Another crowd of boys appeared, no longer as countless as at the beginning of the dream. Their faces, formerly very handsome, now appeared ugly, sullen, and covered with hideous sores. They walked about very sadly, as if stooped or wasted by age. No one spoke. All of them were past, present, and future boarding students of ours, a large number of whom I have never met. The latter were the most numerous. They all looked dejected and dared not raise their eyes. I, the priests, and some companions were stunned and speechless. I asked my guide, What's happened? Why are these boys, once so handsome and joyful, so ugly and sad? Because of their sins, the guide answered. Meanwhile, as the boys walked past me, he added, Take a good look at them. I noticed their foreheads and hands bore the name of each boy's sin. Greatly surprised, I recognized many boys whom I had always believed to be very virtuous. I was now discovering hideous sores festering in their souls. I could read on their foreheads as they filed past immodesty, scandal, malevolence, pride, idleness, gluttony, envy, anger, vindictiveness, blasphemy, impiety, disobedience, sacrilege, and theft. My guide said, not all the boys are as you see them now, but they will become that way if they don't change their ways. Many of these sins aren't serious as such, but will lead to serious falls and eternal perdition. Qui spernit modica palatim dicidet. He who despises trifles will sink down little by little. Gluttony breeds impurity. Contempt for superiors leads to contempt for priests and the church, and so on. Discouraged at such a sight, I took my notebook and pencil to write the names of the boys I knew and their sins, or at least their predominant sin, to warn and correct them. However, the guide held my arm asking, What are you doing? I want to jot down what's written on their foreheads to caution them so they amend their lives. You're not allowed to do that. Why not? They have all they need to go and avoid all these ills. They have house rules. Let them observe them. They have superiors. Let them obey them. They have the sacraments. Let them frequent them. They have confession. Let them not profane it by concealing any sin. They have the Holy Eucharist. Let them not receive it in the state of mortal sin. Let them keep custody of the eyes. Avoid bad company and bad books, immoral conversations, and so on. They will be saved by keeping the house rules. Let them promptly obey the bell and stop trying to fool their teachers to idle away their time. Let them gladly obey their superiors instead of seeing them as annoying watchdogs, self-interested advisors, or even enemies. Let them not cry victory when successfully concealing their faults and dodging punishment. Let them be reverent in church and pray devoutly without chattering or disturbing others. Let them study and work according to the schedule and behave at all times.
Study, work, and prayer will keep them good. Despite his prohibition, I kept asking my guide to let me write down the boys' names. He then snatched my notebook and cast it on the ground, saying, I'm telling you, it's no use to write down their names. With God's grace and the voice of conscience, your boys will know what to do or from what to flee. Does this mean that I can't tell my dear boys anything of what I've seen? I asked. At least let me know if there's anything I can tell them. You may tell them anything you remember as you please, he replied. He let the curtain drop, and I again saw the vine, this time with nearly leafless shoots that held handsome clusters of reddish and full-grown grapes. I drew closer and found they were as good as they looked. My mouth watered at their delightful sight and pleasant smell. My guide again lifted the curtain, and under that arbor I saw many boys, our present, past, and future pupils. They were extremely handsome and radiant with joy. The guide explained, These are the boys who are yielding or will yield good fruit thanks to your care. There are those who practice virtue and will console you greatly. I was delighted and somehow also afflicted, seeing that their number was not as great as I had hoped. As I watched the boys, the bell rang and they left. The clerics who were with me went to work. I looked around and found myself alone. The vine was gone and my guide vanished. Then I woke up and was able to get a little rest. Please subscribe and join me for the final part of this story on Friday, where we'll learn of the main two sins that lead souls to hell. Thank you all so much for watching, and Godspeed.